If you've been listening to our podcast, you've probably caught on that we believe it's essential to optimize your nutrition during pregnancy and postpartum to support you and your baby's well-being. And although eating a healthy, well-balanced diet is crucial during these times in a woman's life, it might not be enough. Pregnancy and postpartum greatly increase the needs for certain nutrients, and to make things worse, factors such as stress, caffeine and sugar consumptions, poor sleep, and even chronic health conditions can all dramatically increase nutrient needs even more. That's why we decided to partner with Seeking Health, a high-quality supplement company that offers a variety of supplements to help you optimize your nutrition and get everything your body needs during these unique times in your life. Their supplements are made with bioavailable, pure ingredients in CGMP-certified facilities in the U.S., and they have an award-winning prenatal line. They also offer a rewards program, so make sure to sign up for an account when you make a purchase to save money on future orders. Click the link in the show notes to shop for Seeking Health Supplements today. Now on to today's episode. Hello, and welcome to Modern Moms Wellness Podcast. I'm Renata, and this is Jenna, and we are here to discuss with you all things motherhood and the journey through the process with simple and practical advice and guidance. With that being said, we have reached episode 10, which is crazy, Um, and this is a guest episode featuring Danielle Smith. Uh, Very excited to have Danielle. Uh, Danny is a licensed mental health counselor with a Master of Science in Mental Health Counseling. With over 10 years of experience working with children and families, providing psychotherapy, group therapy, as well as behavioral interventions. Danielle has provided psychotherapy and behavioral specialist work for children from ages 4 through 21 years old. She's worked in environments such as schools and community-based services, including going into homes of families in the capital region. She has also focused on outpatient behavioral health and managed care, which is directly related to health insurance. With her background in mental health and education, her passion has always been working with children and their caregivers to identify mental health needs and provide support, advocacy, and education on mental health diagnosis and treatment to reduce stigma related to mental health. Danielle is a mom of two children, ages two and four months, and in her free time, she loves playing and exploring with them. And that is definitely the cutest thing ever. Um, So long story short, Danny and I have known each other since we were like three or four. We were in um, pre-K together. We played house together. And then I got to help her deliver her first baby, Georgia. (laughs) My girl. Yeah, so cute. Um, so yeah, hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. So yeah, excited to, to have show. you. <laughs> so yeah, so let's get into a little bit and just tell us a little bit about your journey and what got you to this point, like schooling, jobs, and um, what made you want to work with children. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, speaking of going to school together, we're from Schenectady, New York. So we're in a, um, you know, smaller city um, with a variety of like socioeconomic challenges. 
Um, and something that, you know, we did experience in high school was, you know, um, suicide. Um, and I think for me, that's where my interest in mental health started. Um, you know, just kind of um, experiencing loss uh, via suicide um, in high school, um, paired with the opportunity in high school to also be taking um, AP psychology classes. Um, and I think, you know, kind of experiencing the suicide, being very kind of intrigued by that, um, saddened by it. Um, and then also, you know, in conjunction with taking those courses where I'm kind of learning about psychology, I just became very, very interested in it. Um, at the same time, I had always worked with children in the community, um, being a soccer coach, teaching swim lessons, lifeguarding mm -hmm. at the local park. So um, I definitely knew I had a passion to help children. And then I also had this strong interest in how do we reduce suicide, right? How do we reduce the risks of suicide and how do we save our friends? from suicide. And I think that was my initial kind of, um, you know, I'm going to do something about this. And so then I attended UAlbany where I majored in psychology with a minor in education. And then from my undergrad course, I went ahead and I um, was enrolled into a combined BAMA program, which allowed me to take undergrad classes while also still pursuing my master's degree. Um, so I ended up graduating um, from UAlbany with my master's of science in mental health counseling. Um, and during that time, I, you know, was placed um, a lot in schools um, and with that education, you know, having that minor in education and still pursuing that minor um, in grad school, um, it was just kind of a perfect combination to um, work with the smaller children, be able to learn more about behavioral interventions that are being used um, in schools when kids are struggling with education and socialization, but also um, seeing kids outside of school settings on one-to-one -one psychotherapy or what we call talk therapy. So that's kind of my journey. Um, it kind of just was something that, um, you know, people always said to me, oh, you always said you were going to be like a child psychologist and you you became one. So um, it's, you know, I think a lot of people, I think the average is like six or seven careers or, you know, in someone's life mm -hmm. um, when I studied vocational psychology. So it's not always something where people just kind of know what they want to be and that's what they do. But I was fortunate enough to really have this passion for it and be able to pursue it um, in, a, in a linear way, which allowed me to be in this field for, you know, a good amount of time now. Yeah, I can't believe it's been like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, got to, I got to, you know, be blessed to work with a lot of people. So it's really awesome. And that's yeah. Time. Yeah. That's, that's interesting that in high school you were already being exposed to suicide because I feel like um, I'm not really sure if I remember in high school. I'm only uh, a year below you guys, um, and I grew up in Massachusetts. I don't really remember um, anyone committing suicide in high school or any, really, any real talk about it. And um, I lost a cousin to suicide in 2014. Um, right after I found out I was pregnant with my first. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. And thank you. And um, yeah, and ever since then, it's like I've heard multiple people who have committed suicide and um, and it just seems like the rates are going up. And oh, yeah. it's so sad to hear about how young some of these mm -hmm. kids are. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, 
yeah from like cyber bullying i know yeah a lot of times it's well back when we were in high school there was one person that i can remember who was struggling with mental health as well as just growing up and um she had a hard time with like dating people and i think it just was a triggering and we don't in our school it was so big too like we had like mm -hmm. 3200 people it was a mm -hmm. crazy it was too stuffed to the brim wow. mm -hmm. and i think i don't know if our school really knew how to handle it those types yeah. of issues in my opinion there's just so many kids having to deal with them and they just don't i think it was just overwhelming yeah, yeah. that's yeah. i don't know like it just was but yeah we i remember a few people in high school it was it was hard yeah. yeah. And then even after we graduated, there was six more suicides. Yeah. And it was like, you know, um, statistically, it definitely was high, I would say, yeah. looking back now, knowing data on it. Um, but, you know, a lot of um, environmental factors, right? So just the low socioeconomic, um, you know, the, the access to mental health, the resources mm -hmm. available. Um, so, so many factors going into it. Um, but yeah, now it's kind of like in the fields, we have like a pre-social media generation and a post-social mm. media generation. And so what we do know, um, and I think the last this last statistic I looked at, um, I think we, in the you know, in a certain age group in adolescents and young adults, I mean, we're talking hospitalizations, inpatient hospitalizations specifically, increasing by like 125%. So I mean, oh. astronomical numbers. So it's, you know, there's a last generation and it's almost like a little bit younger than us where they kind of weren't in a culture that was just completely controlled by social media. I mean, we were just getting access to Facebook um, going into college, which was really what Facebook was designed for, right? It was really supposed college. to be college age people. And so we kind of were in line with that. Now we're talking about social media that was essentially designed for younger adults that are now children are being exposed to. And so it's, you know, the field always takes a while to catch up. You know, we're looking at research, we look at 10 years, right? Everything in 10 years, you don't look at anything past 10 years. And then it takes us years to kind of get you know, all this research done and data done. But I mean, the numbers are there and we know we're in, in a mental health crisis, specifically with adolescents and young adults. And to think, you know, even back then we were exposed to it. And even now I'm sure um, kids are exposed even more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my cousin, um, he was five years younger than me. He was 18 years old um, when he did it. And so, and it was due to cyberbullying, um, and it's it's just horrible. Like, and just I I feel like there's you know there are definitely pros to social media, but I feel like for kids when your brain's developing and you're exposed to all these different things and different standards and um, you know sometimes not getting supervision from your parents. Mm -hmm. Um, what you're being, what you're allowed to get on um, for social media, it's, it can be really scary. And like for, um, you know, it's something I try not to think too much about as a mom, um, but I definitely have thought about it. And it's, it, do you have any recommendations for like social media? Because in, in, I'm thinking like, um, for kids, you know, I don't, their phones are going to be 
I don't know what the name is, but like dumb phones, like they're not going to have the smartphones. They're not going to have apps. It'll be calling, texting. They're not going to have exposure. I don't want them to have um, social mm -hmm. media apps on their phones. Um, I don't know if that means that they can't use social media, um, maybe if it's supervised, um, but I don't want them to be able to have access on their device. Um, I'm not sure what time, what age I would allow it, um, but at least before the age of 16. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm I with you on that. Yeah. 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 Do you mm -hmm. have any advice, Danny? Like, is there, um, do you have any guidelines on that or? Yeah. So I think it is hard because you have to definitely write. And I think this is an overall theme parent to your child because some children are better at processing and have a better comprehension. So I think comprehension is very like child specific. Um, there's definitely age ranges where I think, yeah, this, they may be able to comprehend this more. Like for example, um, death, death is not a, a final finite thing um, until sometimes around age 10, right? That's when people truly understand that if you pass, you know, or you go, depending on your religious beliefs, of course, and your faith, mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, death may be final, um, at least in that physical sense. And then, of course, you know, however you parent your child to believe what happens after that. But that's where some of those like games, right, where we talk about like shooting games or games in which you may be, you know, um, killing someone, but then you mm -hmm. really don't even cognitively developmentally have an understanding of what that means. Um, and so it's kind of the same thing, right? Video games were like the big first concern and now we have social media. So I think it's hard to say, okay, at this age specifically, you know, and not before or not after, I think you really have to get a good understanding of like, what does your child understand, right? Because kids will always try to express understanding, mm -hmm. um, but you constantly have to challenge that to see if they truly understand, right? Like, what does that mean to you? So I think it's a lot of conversations, um, and this happens in therapy with kids all the time where I say something and I'm like, so can you repeat back to me mm -hmm. what you heard? Because I think a lot of kids in classrooms and when adults speak to them, you know, they're like, okay, yeah, okay, um, sure, yep. And you're like, okay, but what did you hear? Because mm -hmm. I think when you're not versed in child development, and most people, you know, right, are not taking courses on that as parents, what do they understand at what age level? So I think a lot of that is checking for understanding with your children. What do they understand about things? And if they are going to be on their phones or TVs or video games, you really have to be with them um, and process the information with them and help them process that information. And if you're checking in and you feel like they truly don't understand that this is not a real post, for example, right, or kids don't understand that a movie is is not really happening, right? Um, it's like, okay, what kind of movies can they watch? Those are all things based off their comprehension um, and where, where their understanding is at. So I think you have to be very, very involved in, you know, watching those movies with them, playing those games with them, being on social media or on their phones with them, increasing that supervision and, and really kind of trying to get a grasp on what do they understand about this? How are they interpreting this information? So I do think it is definitely child specific, what you're comfortable with, but also definitely um, there needs to be a lot of increased supervision and conversation around those things. Yeah, for sure. Remember like when we first got computers and in the household and, you know, we got dial up and everything. And then our parents would be like, you're only allowed one hour on the computer. Mm -hmm. And my computer room was right there. 
Like, yeah. You walk in, in your house. family, in your family, like living room. Yeah. yeah it was right mm-hmm. there and they could come on over and they'll like, they'll stand over you. They'll look at what you're looking at. And you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> look behind you. Like, don't worry. I wish we could like, that's the thing though. Like we used to escape to go on the computer and now people are just always, you would, you have to escape to get off the computer now. Mm-hmm. And, like, like, I guess I think, if I'm trying I chime in on like the parenting aspect of it too. Like I say the same thing about like, I don't want to give my kids the access to it, but maybe if we show them access to like other things first, like you're extremely nature oriented Jenna. So like you're showing them that nature is, you know, where we want to be in and like, we want to love it and herbs and cooking and, foraging and stuff and I think maybe if you show them those things too at a young age they won't have as much interest in getting on the phone and doing that type of stuff so I don't know if that maybe can also help as like you know we were outside all the time like mm-hmm. we loved we, we would ride yeah. our bikes everywhere we would play tag we would do this we would mm-hmm. do that so maybe just like showing them there's more to it as well because they're gonna beg and cry and everything through a phone everybody always they will oh yeah yeah (laughs) my my son's already told me like he's in third grade and he's like you know so-and-so has a phone um I'm like well good for them like yeah that's not what we're gonna do in our family but um you know good for your friend like yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And to exactly what you said, Renata, it's one of those things where we were in, um, you know, family spaces. We were in public spaces when we use these things. So Mm -hmm. to an extent, our parents were kind of already doing what I recommend, right? They were supervising. There was increased supervision. Now a lot of my clients are in there, you know, they're doing telehealth sessions with me and I got kids in their closet. I got kids in their room with their phone and I'm like, well, where's mom? Where's dad? You know? And it's one of those things where I'm like, you got to be right here, you know, Um, taking the phone to the room, even though it is a smartphone and now they can do that. Um, You know, is the question would be, you know, I think more importantly than should they have access to these phones or things is like, they're going to most likely be exposed to those things. Cause like you said, classmates will have them. They'll go to a friend's house. They may have different rules about phones. Mm. So they may mm. have a friend who has a phone in their room and they're sharing this information mm. or watching YouTube or doing whatever. So I think it's very much about you teaching your child what's appropriate, what's not appropriate and doing that with them. And like, yeah, I think for me, um, Maybe you could have a phone, but I don't know if I would recommend that you are able to go up to your room and privately mm. be sitting on your phone, right? Yeah. Um, I think that that's a, a lot of responsibility, and I think that that needs to come at, like, an age-appropriate time. Yeah. So I think it's more so about, like, you know, like I said, just kind of really making sure you're sitting with them. Um, and it's kind of like a movie. Like, I wouldn't let, you know, my two-year-old watch a movie I've never seen, right, yeah. and mm-hmm. not be – in there watching and it's kind of like the same type of screen time recommendations for younger children it's like can you use screen time sure but should you be watching it with them processing it with them engaging like oh what did what did um you know so and so just say in this and oh look at that and talking Mm. with them and using it as you know a, a learning tool because like we said there's pros to it but it's definitely a matter of you know, being able to um, help them process information that their brains just aren't there to do yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, sure. definitely increasing other interests, right? Um, right? You know, because 
you know, for anxiety, for example, grounding exercises have a lot to do with being outside. You know, I always say, do your five senses. What do you mm-hmm. see? What do you smell? What do you one. hear? Right. And those are things where I'm like, go outside without shoes on, step in the grass, step in the, you know, um, so grounding is huge for anxiety. And yeah, we have kids with increasing anxiety because of that overexposure to so many things that they're just not at a place to comprehend. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, I've got, I've become more anxious, like over the last 15 years and I try really hard to not be, and it's hard. But I know for a fact that that social media has been involved in my anxiety and, you know, I'll take it off. I'll, I'll, I'll sign out, I'll deactivate. And I still always find myself out because I have a business and I have this and I have that. But like, I know for a fact it has increased my anxiety and Mm -hmm. I try to do a lot of things to like, yeah, like I love the five senses, um, technique too and that activity because a lot of us we start holding our breath or we start you know like uh disassociating and finding being aware and present of what's going on around you has helped so much when you're like i can't breathe i'm struggling and it's like okay well smell the smells what's cooking in the house is Mm -hmm. there coffee brewing is there you know, something being baked is there, you know, and I love that because that brings me back like every time. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's so hard because you disassociate so hard. And then you're like, I got to come back. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. can only imagine what it's like for kids who have yeah. been just born into this, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not teaching mm-hmm. as much mindfulness, right? Um, social media is very mindless. Um, yeah. you know, you're the kind of scrolling without even thinking your brain's just constantly processing. So it's about teaching, you know, being in the moment and nature helps with that for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, so many things kind of help with bringing you back to being mindful, being in the moment. Um, even parents, you know, um, I'm guilty of sometimes catching myself being on my phone and I'm like, wow, I should really be here in this moment with my children right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I need to, I will literally throw my phone like across the room, like out of my reach. Like, um, I can't believe that I, and everybody does it. You're just yeah. like, Oh my gosh, I got to get like, what am I doing? I'm, this is, um, you know, I need to get back into the moment. Um, and I need to be off my phone. I need to turn off the TV and we need I to like go get in. a book. You know, you are the best with your phone. I don't even want to, <laughs> you are never on your phone. <laughs> you are my never. mental health. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I just cut you off, but I have to add in that Danny, I don't, she's never on her phone. So she's barely on it. And if we call her, she'll always pick up. But she, yeah, yeah, no, you are really good with it. You're really good with it. We'll be like, hello. And you'll be like, I'm sorry, babe. I was just, yeah, I'll be like, no, just making sure you're alive. (laughs) Yeah. I I try to practice what I preach, right? Like, I think that you have to stay in the moment, stay mindful. Mm -hmm. And that will definitely, like you said, decrease some of that anxiety because it's like you have to just kind of remind yourself where you are for a second, Mm -hmm. like you said, because a lot of that disassociation, you're scrolling. It's like our brains can only process but so much and be stimulated but so much. Um, So, you know, it's definitely like and I want to model that for the kids, right, that like you should be mindful and in the moment. And um, there's a time and a place for all of those things. They're not bad things, but they need to be used like anything else in moderation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so important, like, to model to your kids how to use how to use phones appropriately mm. and to not just be looking at them all the time. Like, I definitely felt early on um, when I had my first, it was I was dealing with a lot of stuff mentally. Um, becoming a mom, it was a really tough transition. Um, and so I would disassociate a lot. Um, and I used my phone a lot to do that. And, um, I, I definitely started to recognize it. And so I would take long breaks from social media and just try to be more mindful, be more in the moment. And I really, it helps so much with anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that, that definitely helped me to sit down and process things and um sit with those emotions rather than just always trying to run away from them but Mm -hmm. i you know the earlier the better though like Mm -hmm. your your kids are seeing what you're doing from very young ages and um i've i've heard this like a lot of people talk about like um how your um kids like if they if they see you on your phone and you know they're trying to get your attention um they're going to start to feel like the phone has more value um, mm. than, than they do if you're if you're ignoring what they're saying mm. um, mm-hmm. and looking at your phone instead. And I, I I mean, I'm sure that that's the case. Like, I definitely feel that way, like when um, when people will be looking at their phones and I'll try to have a conversation and, you know, they're they're not I'm really hearing what I'm saying yeah. and mm-hmm. it's you know how some people um they're still aware of what's going on around them when they're on their phone but then there's other people who like just block everything mm-hmm. out they kind of mm-hmm. this tunnel vision um and you're like hello yeah, <laughs> yeah. like can you hear me yeah um, so. i mean it's triggering like sometimes yeah. it's very triggering yeah so mm-hmm. it, i know it's and i obviously like I don't have the kids yet, but even by my niece, I was trying really hard not to be by on my phone. Even by the kids I've been with during postpartum work, I try not to be on my phone unless we're like scrolling, looking at spiders or something. But um, yeah, a lot, I worked with a lot of boys and they're like, let's look at frogs. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, Interactively, right? Yeah, you're doing that yep. together. Yeah. Yep. Like and, if you can do that together. I mean, you're including them. Absolutely. But like, yeah, especially young children, because they can't express to you, um, Mm -hmm. hey, get off your phone. I want you to really pay attention to me. Right. Mm -hmm. But when they're engaging in negative behaviors, that's essentially what they're telling you. They're communicating through behaviors. Right. And they don't really know the difference between positive or negative attention. But Mm -hmm. um, especially in the very, very young years of their life. They are, um, you know, they have what we call like an external locus of control. So everything that they perceive is based off of everybody else around them and how they're interacting with them. So if I'm ignoring you, um, Mm. that's how you're going to take it, right? I mean, I'm I'm thinking I'm multitasking, but truly how they're going to view it is I'm ignoring you. Um, That is something sometimes even um, like a punishment in their mind, right? Because I'm ignoring you. Um, what, what you're saying, um, is, you know, I'm not listening to you. So then you're going to think, well, and a child's going to think, well, then I have to engage in this behavior because then I'm going to get attention for this behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, because again, it doesn't matter whether it's negative or positive. If I'm, if I, if you're throwing a shoe at me because I'm on my phone and I look at you and I say, Georgia, don't throw shoes. 
she's gotten my attention again, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter that I'm giving her negative feedback. She's still got my attention. And it's pretty much as simple as that for them because they mm-hmm. don't have the cognitive ability to process that I'm just looking at something for a minute. Um, a minute is a long time for them. They have no concept of time. So even if you, you know, and again, I'm not, you know, here to shame moms because we, you know, you do the best you can do, but mm-hmm. those are things just to be mindful of. And then, you know, as we kind of like looping back to what we were saying earlier, modeling that behavior, but also sitting with them and doing those things with them. And that starts with you and then carries on to them and making sure because, yeah, we can only multitask to a certain extent. Um, Our brains are only able to communicate, but so fast between, you know, between each other. So, yeah, I mean, a minute is a long time to a two-year-old, to a three-year-old who has no concept of time um, to be on your phone and you don't do it purposely and we aren't ignoring them. Um, But that is how they are interpreting a lot Mm-hmm. And and what about um, parents who have kind of um, fell into the groove of, of that type of pattern, like looking at their phone um, more than they're interacting with their kids, and now their kids are, you know, throwing shoes at them and trying to get their attention in negative ways? Um, it, is it just kind of a matter of time, um, like trying to undo that pattern, like trying to implement new patterns um, and, you know, is it just going to be like a period of time to, to undo that? Or are there like um, better tools to try to undo that type of pattern? I don't know if yeah. that's a simple answer or if that's um, like a long mm-hmm. explanation, but. Um, no, yeah. I'm following. Yeah. I think at any point in time, if you see that you can do better, do better. Don't tell yourself it's too late ever, mm-hmm. you know, with your children um, or any relationship for that matter, you know, yeah. because, you know, um, you know, maybe as time goes on, it would be harder to re-engage, but especially young children, again, with no concept of time, it could be months, it could be years. Sometimes it's not as long to them as it is to us. And so um, I think definitely if you catch yourself doing it, try to remind yourself not to do it. Or, you know, maybe if you have a good relationship with your partner, say, hey, if you see me on my phone, can you just kind of give me a little signal, um, you know, to get off my phone? Um, Or just let, you know, hey, can you give me some feedback if you feel like I am too much? Um, Whereas your kids can't communicate that to you. If your kids are communicating that to you, definitely try to, um, you know, apologize first and foremost. I'm sorry for... Um, and model that and then try to, you know, again, include them or think about, op- you know, opportunities, things you guys can do together, board games. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I just tried playing Candyland with a two-year-old, not so successful, but just <laughs> start, start it, you know, start trying yeah. to make those things um, a norm or a tradition for your family. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not saying you can't do things with them on YouTube too, and you can't do a dance party or something fun like that with a screen, but just trying to be mindful of those things. And I think, yeah, it's never too late. I think that um, if you, you know, habits don't actually take that long to form. So if you can give yourself, you know, a goal of a week of just, hey, I'm not going to do this for this week, um, you'd be amazed at how quickly kids can kind of turn it around. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the one thing I do love about children is they are like very resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, And because their brains are still not as rigid as ours, they're more flexible more often than not. They're not as crystallized as we call them in thinking. Um, They're going to be more flexible. And like I said, you could, if if you could do a week, two weeks, three weeks, you'll see a huge change in those things. So definitely just, you know, try to catch yourself and try to implement them when you can, when you can, you know? Yeah. So with that being said, like with 
the kids that you've been um, working with and they've, they've been presenting potentially those behavioral aspects and, you know, maybe some depression or anxiety or negative behavior. Do you ever, do you get the parent involved when you think that they could be the, like the, the factor behind it? Like, do you, how do you go about something like that? Like where you see the kids struggling and it potentially is family life or home life or whatever. How is that? How do you deal with that type of situation? Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of what I do is family therapy with children because you can't really see the child without the parents because a lot of it is connected, right? Um, One of the bigger theories in child development is attachment theory. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of psychological theories actually loop back to attachment, insecure attachment, secure attachments, things like that. So attachment theory is a really popular theory, um, especially when we talk about children. And a lot of things affect attachment, your bond with your child. Um, Now we're in a social media age. So you see more and more of that, um, Mm. you know, how that's going to impact attachment theory that's been around for so long as time will tell us, right? Um, As we move into this new age of parenting and how we're attaching to our children and establishing that attachment. But I think, yeah, definitely because that attachment is automatic, right? And you can even see this in children who are fostered or adopted. You are biologically connected to your parent and then your caregivers. And so a lot of things actually are tied back to that relationship with your caregiver. Um, And so much of that is like, you know, the depression and the anxiety is, you know, maybe it's there, right? Because sometimes it's just there. There are genetic components to Mm -hmm. these things. There's predispositions to having these things. And then there's environment. Right. And those are all the factors we look at. And environment is definitely the engagement and the attachment with the parent and the communication with the parent. So I can't do anything just taking the child out of the situation. Um, So I I do see the children individually for some portion of the time. And then I also do the family together so that I can kind of see what, how is this communication working? Try to bridge some of those gaps in communication. And sometimes that 60 minutes I'm in a session with, Um, a child and a parent is the most time they've spent talking that week or, you know what I mean? Because life hits us and we get busy and we do a lot of things or you're in school all day, you're not with your family, then you get home, then it's time for dinner, then it's time for homework, it's time for these things. Then you're sleeping and then you're up again and you kind of get into that, you know, mundane routine and schedule. And so, um, you know, sometimes just having that session to talk is huge. And a lot of anxiety and depression, especially depression, is de-isolating. You see kids isolate a lot. And one of the bigger things with depression is definitely looking at isolation. That's like one of the first things I tell parents to look at. Is their door closed? Do you have their door open? Are you asking them to watch a movie with you at night? Are you guys watching TV shows together? Or is it like everybody's in their room separately, um, you know, after dinner? Um, You know, not everyone eats dinner together. That's fine. But even if you could implement uh, dinner together, you know, sometimes you start just with that. Like, hey, could you guys all sit at the table and eat dinner together? Even if you're in front of the TV, could you all sit in the living room together and just decrease that isolation um, and increase that communication. Cause when you're around each other, you're going to talk to each other more. Um, and I think that for anxiety, it helps when you process the thoughts that are in your head. And I think with depression um, as well to challenge negative thoughts, cause depression is definitely a lot of negative thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you can feel like a burden to others. Sometimes you can feel like 
this is, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough to be around somebody. Nobody wants to be around me. And so you further kind of isolate from friends and family. And if you can disrupt that thinking, that negative pattern of thinking, um, by then being near people that helps. And with anxiety, um, I think, you know, um, just having those conversations of these are some of the thoughts I'm having and allowing people to help you challenge those thoughts. Like you're safe, you're okay. You know, you can tell yourself that, but so many times and that's good, but sometimes it does help when somebody else says to you, you, okay, let's talk about this. It's going to be all right. And of course, I mean, seek medical, you know, medical and um, professionals, but also like family and friends are your support system is huge in that. So yeah, definitely seeing the kids with their parents is a big part of what I do and I recommend. Um, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that was really great. Um, We've had a few guests on here, like Jenna's sister, and we had another guest. Actually, I think a few. I want to say Leela, Ali, and then uh, Stephanie. They all work with somatic. Um, somatic practices and uh, do you incorporate somatic work into your because I know you do the mindful um, some mindfulness and then the activity of the senses because that's very somatic in my opinion mm-hmm. um, so do you incorporate other types of somatic work with your children yeah I mean I definitely try with the kids it is a little bit harder and that's where that behavioral work comes in because their Mm -hmm. concepts of like what they can actually conceptually um do is a lot harder but yeah those simple things right they know Mm -hmm. their five senses a lot um even interestingly enough color therapy coloring people are always like oh you know I'm, I'm not sending my kid to therapy just to color and I'm like color therapy coloring therapy is actually shown to reduce heart rate for 100%. example um you know things like that where I'm looking at I'm, I'm teaching them to look at their breathing to look at their heart rate right um that's big with anxiety people are always like I feel like I had a heart attack when they talk about anxiety and you're like nope that was a panic attack but you're absolutely <laughs> right in that in your body your body is essentially doing the same things you're having the same symptoms because you're having an increased heart rate. Um, you're having, you know, you may feel sweaty, you may feel hot, all those things, because all of those things are regulated, right, by your brain. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where like, yeah, teaching them the most basic of those things um, is kind of what I'm doing with kids is just recognizing what they feel in their body. Um, and especially with trauma, you know, there's that saying of with trauma in the field of the body keeps the score for trauma, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of our, our thinking. And with kids, it's no different, but it's just on a very basic level of trying to get them to understand how their body feels. Are you making a fist? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia will make a fist, my daughter, and she'll be like, I'm so angry. Um, and I'm like, this is great because I can try to get her to connect that, you know, she's making the fish out of anger, right? And that's just like the most simple thing. She's tense. She's tensing up. Her body's tensing up in some way. That's representative of anger or stomach aches. That's anxiety, right? The butterflies in your tummy. Yeah, the butterflies in your tummy. So yeah, on a very, very basic level, I am incorporating that in a way that they can understand. Yeah. Nice. My my daughter, she's in kindergarten, and I think it was a couple of weeks ago, she was like, sometimes my tummy hurts because I miss you so much at school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she's just, I don't know, it was, it was really amazing to like hear that self-awareness, you know, like yeah. recognizing that her, her bellyache was related to that, to missing me. And it wasn't, 
you know, like a sickness or something like that. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. notices when she's feeling that way. It's she feels mm-hmm. it in her belly, and um, so I've I've recognized before um, when she is feeling um, sad or anxious about something. Like sometimes she will talk about her belly being upset. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a good clue. Like as a pl- parent too, noticing that you know, it can be connected to feelings of anxiety, mm-hmm. these um, symptoms that your kids um, have. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll know that as separation anxiety, but they'll know that as their belly hurts. I'm apart from mom. That's a very natural thing, right? Because of that attachment theory I was talking about. We are designed and programmed to have a caregiver get us through this part of life, right? We're dependent on our caregivers to survive. And so it's a very biologically driven thing, separation anxiety from a parent. Um, I work with that a lot. And that shows me that there is a secure secure attachment there. You know that this person's your safe person. They're going to keep you safe um, and you are driven to be near them. So when you're apart from them, that is a very um, spot on, not saying all kids should have it, just saying that that's, you know, a sign and indication of like a a good attachment. Um, it could be the opposite too, right? When you, you can see some insecure attachment where there's times where, you know, maybe a caregiver had to leave a child for an extended period of time and that may have caused some things, but you know, it's again, it's all related. So that's amazing that she was able to say that and make that connection. And then you can even build on that further, right? Like, you know, um, yeah, sometimes we feel these things in our bodies um, and we can talk about them and you can talk to me about them and let me know. Um, because, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of times these things are being said and right as a parent, your first thought, if they can't make that connection is like, oh, my gosh, they're sick. Do they have a bug? Um, mm-hmm. They're not eating. Are they, you know, it's just they're picky eaters. Um, is it they're picky eaters or like their tummy always hurts because maybe they're a little bit more anxious. And so eating is, you know, when you're nauseous, you don't tend to really eat that much. And nausea Mm -hmm. is a big piece of anxiety, right? So it's all those little things of trying to do exactly what you just said, help them make those connections and know the difference between I'm ill or I'm feeling anxious. And now I think I'm, um, you know, I don't have an appetite. Mm -hmm. That's interesting that you say that she would say that because it makes me like think back in my memory bank of when I would be in school young, I wanted to go to the nurse's office every single day. And I didn't realize that that was an anxiety (laughs) because Mm -hmm. obviously, and, and, you know, it was, we didn't know about mental health that much back then. So, you know, I'm five and I'm in the nurse's office every day, six in the nurse's office every day thinking I was going to throw up and all this stuff. And now when you look back, you're like, Oh, that was a little bit of an anxiety going on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it, it makes me want to hopefully have that same like safe, this with my kid where I'm like, okay, well, this is what is happening. You're at school. I'm right here. I'll be here for you when you come out or I'll, you know, I can talk to you about it when you're home or, and yeah, yeah, it's interesting to really think back at like your own life and growing up. And I wish, see, this is why we have someone like you on too, to encourage that they see behaviors to like encourage to, to talk about it and, mm-hmm. you know, see someone yeah. if it's necessary or, I mean, even the somatic practitioners we've had on, like it's just, just working with somebody to let out all the things that you need to let out. And cause 
that's it's you know let's lessen the stigma behind it even yeah. kids, kids can be anxious kids can be can feel this way so absolutely yeah sometimes it's just easier for us to think medical because i think that's just kind of how we're programmed especially mm-hmm. in like with western medicine and civilization it's just kind of like one of those things where we think like you know like medical model is very much about what's the symptom and i'm going to treat it exactly. and mental health is very much about what are the thoughts that are associated with those feelings and therefore, right? Like cognitive behavioral therapy is a big, more widely known psychotherapy, talk therapy. And that has a lot to do with um, what are those thoughts and therefore what are those behaviors, you know? And, and that's big with kids because kids, um, you know, they, they do manipulate their environment, but they can only do that to an extent because they don't have that cognitive ability to do more than that. So what you are getting at a very surface level, sometimes you really just have to dig deeper with them and put mental health on your radar. Um, it's not always going to be a physical thing. Sometimes these are mental health and we just need to, um, give them that opportunity in the floor to be a safe space, talk about those things, get help when we need and get coping skills. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I journaled a lot as a kid and I now know that was my own way of coping with my own anxiety. And I put that together after I got my education, right? Like, wow, I didn't know it, but I was in implementing a huge coping Lovely, skill yeah. for myself at the time, you know? Um, you were like, dear diary. And yeah. yet it was really helping. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I should like go find all these journals. I probably have them. Yeah. Um, you know, even like me telling my clients, I was like, oh my God, I journaled all the time. Do you like journaling? If they say no, fine. You know, right. some, it's different for everybody what's going to work. But, you know, I think as parents, like we do want to solve our kids' problems. You know, if they say I want this or I want that, you know, we want to be quick and find a solution. And I think sometimes, like Jenna was saying in the beginning, just sitting with those emotions and teaching our kids it's okay to sit with them Mm -hmm. will allow them to understand better what's what, right? And reduce that stigma of mental health. It's like, it's okay to be angry. I'm not going to tell Georgia, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, you shouldn't be mad. Oh, you don't need to cry. You know, no need to cry. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. you're crying. Can you tell me, you know, what you're thinking about that's making you sad? And just really trying to take that time to recognize that I hear you, I see you. And even at two, Um, something is going on. She has thoughts, she has feelings. Um, and it could be as something as simple as, you know, mom wouldn't let me eat that stick of butter, but it's real to her. (laughs) And that's probably what it was, but it's real to her in that moment. And I really have to take these opportunities to say, you know, okay, I could see why you're angry about that because you really want that. And I'm stopping you from getting something you really, really want, you know, and it's okay to be angry. What can you do about that? You know, and I'll tell her, oh, blow out the candle, you know, and um, sometimes she gets mad when I tell her to take a deep breath. She's like, oh, you know, and it's like, that's okay too. If the deep breath's not going to work for you right now, um, I'll give you some space and we can, we'll reconvene, you know, but um, so it might seem silly and I'm sure if someone was watching that, they'd be like, what are you doing? But it's just because, um, it's start, the earlier you can start, the better, you know, and getting them to recognize yeah. these things. Yeah. It translates into adulthood. I mean, if you are constantly not handling your emotions as a kid and you don't have someone to guide you to do that, it's going to translate later on and you're not going to be able to, you know, how process the emotions and or you might find be around people who don't make you feel safe and you just don't know 
that that's who you are being around or, you know, just putting yourselves in, a, in an environment that where you don't feel comfortable and safe because you haven't had the guidance to process and understand your emotions when you're younger. So yeah. it is great to incorporate it. And I mean, Georgia's a little, she's such a cutie. She definitely has this, the cutest personality and I'm so excited to see how you know um trey will be because having a boy is is a little different than having a girl and yeah i'm excited to see how you incorporate processing a little boy's emotions and stuff because there's so much around being the boy and then the girl you know so yeah absolutely a lot of stigma with that right i just Mm -hmm. want him to know he can have the equal amount of emotions as the sister Yeah. And Georgia's no more bossy or emotional than him. They're all treated equally, right? Because there's always we socialize our kids, unfortunately, but it happens. It happens outside of our house. It happens all the time. Um, So just making sure everyone knows, you know, everybody, you know, is going to have different emotions. I think the other big piece with parents is just knowing that behaviors are them communicating. Um, Mm -hmm. Should you give consequences appropriately? Yes, you still have to give consequences, but you have to have a conversation as well, not just consequences without the conversation, Mm -hmm. right? And just know they're trying to communicate to you the best way they know how. Um, And I think, yeah, just understanding for mental health, like our brain controls everything and mental health is in the brain. We don't chop our head off our body, right? It's all, it's all connected. And I think some people don't really want to look at it as the same thing, but it's essentially, you know, when your stress cortisol levels are high, right? That impacts organs in your body. So everything is so, so connected. It has to be that way. We have to be very interdisciplinary about things. Um, you know, if you're going to take your kid to a primary care for preventative health, you should think of taking your kids to therapy and, other practitioners as well, whatever you see fit, whatever fits within your cultural, um, you know, um, comfortability, but you should be looking at those things as preventative health as well. And um, if they don't need it, they don't need it. When they do need it, they should utilize it. And, you know, we have to encourage it and not think, oh, wow, my child's going to be labeled. um, So I don't want to have to do that. Or, you know, I don't want my child to, you know, um, have a mental health issue. Um, it's not a bad thing if a child is diagnosed with something. Anxiety is very biological. Our brains are mm-hmm. wired to keep us safe. So all these things, right? Like just kind of try to reduce the stigma with your own child, get them the help when you need it and in, in model coping skills and try to get them to foster coping skills as early on as possible. Yeah, 100%. Um, especially to like thinking back for the boys because both of you guys have sons and um i saw recently um um some research on how the influx in men and boys are they're committing suicide and there there's a lot of just and i know it stems to boys not being able to feel properly and to express themselves properly without being called certain names or weak or you are not a man or you are you know this then the other thing and it breaks my heart to see stuff like that and i'm excited for our generation because i know a lot of us are starting to focus on mental health and mental health in our children mm-hmm. and i'm excited to see these men that we're going to raise, you know, the, the boys, I mean, even the daughters, obviously, but you know, mm-hmm. from us, we're, we're amazing women, <laughs> but 
the men that will come from our generation, I feel, are going to be so in tune with their emotions and their expressions and stuff. And I'm really excited for that to see what happens down the line. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm really interested to see how it turns out. And mm-hmm. um, I was thinking about, um, I think it was last week or something, my my son got hurt. His, he was, I think, crawling on all fours. And then my daughter hopped on his back. They were like <laughs> fooling around and she hopped on his back, but then they both fell forward. So he smashed his face mm-hmm. into the floor. Um, and so he was feeling really upset. And um, he was like, turn on the TV, turn on a movie. Like, um, I'm hurt right now. I I need something just to distract me from this pain. And I was like, we're just going to sit here. Like, it's okay to, to feel this pain. You know, we're not just going to turn on the TV to distract you from it. Like, you know, this happens in life and it's okay to, to Mm. feel this way. Um, and so he, he was receptive to it, which was good because, um, I was afraid he was just going to keep, um, you know, pushing for <laughs> us to mm-hmm. turn the TV on. I wouldn't have, but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I definitely, I do notice a difference like in, in his ability to express emotions and when he's feeling upset, um, he'll, um, he's more reactive to it and then will mm-hmm. want to go be by himself. Like he doesn't want to be held at that time. Um, even if we offer like hugs or something and my daughter is the opposite. Like she'll, she comes right to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she yeah. definitely um, comes right to me for comfort. And so, um, which is nice. Cause I actually growing up, I, I kind of had a, um, the opposite treatment. Like I, I was more like my son, like I, um, but I wasn't really offered like hugs and, um, comfort. Um, I was, um, met with a lot of like, my frustration was met with frustration. Um, so I, I couldn't process those emotions properly because, um, I, it would just fuel it. Um, and then I would go up to my room and I would, you know, um, cry through it, yell through it, whatever, um, and never really was helped to work through that. And, um, it's, it's tricky because I notice, um, sometimes like with my son, because he is, he has a stronger reaction to things, um, will butt heads a little bit because, Mm -hmm. um, he'll kind of, um, that like big reaction kind of triggers that um what I experienced as a kid and it's Mm. it's really hard um to try to kind of like reel that back in and to not fall into that pattern and um and part of that is like that feeling of mom guilt um just Mm -hmm. kind of like you know why can't I control this reaction like I'm I keep trying so hard and I feel like you know 50% 50% of the time or more, it's, it's really difficult to, um, stay calm in those moments. And, and because like I said, like, that's, you know, what I saw as a kid, that's how I was treated. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to snap out of that pattern. Um, do you see that a lot, Danny, like in, um, with the moms or parents you work with, like that feeling of guilt, of mm-hmm. like, I, I know I should be doing this differently and it's just, Oh yeah. And that's why I'm like, I'm not here to shame anyone because I know a lot. And even with knowing a lot, I still have reactions. And my husband is also a mental health counselor. And so it's funny because, you know, I'll check in with him a lot. I'm like, oh, 
gosh, that just triggered something in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, are you triggered right now? Or, you know, kind of checking in. It's like a, a joke because we're just kind of like, you know, we're both kind of always observing each other in that sense. But um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think just recognizing it's okay to be triggered is, you know, and for us to have our own reactions to things, we're not emotionless creatures. And although we can like put on our voice and put on our best front, um, some things are definitely going to trigger us because our kids are very personable to us, right? We personalize everything with our kids because we feel our kids are a direct reflection of our parenting. Um, And parenting is a very personal thing. It's a very hard Mm -hmm. thing to do. Um, And each one of your kids, even if you have one way you like to parent, is going to test that for you because each kid is born with a certain temperament and then they have you know, other factors that may change how they react to things over time, experiences. You know, you have two kids in the same household, raised in the same environment, parenting them the same way is not going to necessarily work because each one of those kids leaves your house and has different experiences in life. Right. You know, Um, and those experiences shape them. So I think, you know, knowing we, we call it like the dance each kid, you have to learn how to dance with them. You know, um, you're going to be doing different things for them. And one of the, you know, one of the things that kids come into me a lot and say is like, well, my mom does this for so-and-so and doesn't do this for me. And it's hurtful to them. And I think that's a big conversation we have to have. And I'll say, you know, sometimes I think it's important to know that fair is not exactly always the same thing. Fair is each person getting what they need. Um, and sometimes, that's fairness because um, as much as you want to try to keep things the same um, to, you know, kind of increase that fairness, each kid is going to demand something differently of you. And I think it's okay to sometimes think outside the box of how can I help this child. And I think sometimes we have very rigid ways we think of parenting and what's okay and what's not okay. And, you know, um, some people, corporal punishment, for example, versus not, you know, I think a big controversial issue is hitting versus not hitting or, um, things like that. I'm like a big believer in like tone and volume. I'm like, I don't think I'd ever even have to put my hands on my kids because I just have a certain tone. And I think George already knows my tone, you know what I mean? Um, and I think there's a lot with volume and tone. I'm big about that, but I think just, yeah, back to what we were kind of talking about. I think mom guilt is real, guilt in general as a parent is real. This is a very personal thing to us. We want to do this right. And I mean, for me personally, this is the most important job in the world. Um, and so when I make mistakes, I can be very hard on myself. Um, but I think just reminding ourselves too, like we're going to make mistakes at this. It's okay to be emotional. And I think stopping and saying like, wow, mommy was just really angry. Um, I was feeling frustrated and I'm sorry that mm-hmm. I reacted this way and I'm, and I apologize. Um, I apologize to Georgia all the time. Um, yeah. I think I made a comment to her the other day cause she skipped a nap and I was like, Oh, you're miserable. And she goes, not nice mommy. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. That was not nice to say. Um, you're tired. You're not miserable. I should have chose my words better. Um, and I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. We, me and my husband are both, um, we apologize a lot too. We, we try to make it a point. Um, and (laughs) if one of us doesn't recognize that we did something, um, that, you know, um, needs an apology, then we'll kind of, you know, um, let each other know, like, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it, like this hurt I I saw it this way, you know, you know, like, our son was just trying to like help his sister. He wasn't Mm -hmm. trying to hurt her. Like he was just trying to help her. And, you know, we, you got, 
got mad at him, but that wasn't the case. Like, um, so we'll kind of like give that outside perspective and be like, all right, like there shouldn't have been like yelling and, mm. and all that stuff. So, um, and then, <clears throat> and then we'll apologize for it. So I love that. The fact that, um, you know, you guys can take accountability, some, you know, for things that has happened with your children or you can apologize. I feel like I didn't really see apologies that often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, me either. Yeah. <laughs> now that we're yeah. like, it's, I think it's really beautiful that yes, mistakes happen. You acknowledge that mm-hmm. there was a mistake and that you can say, I'm so sorry I did this or I treated you this way, even to your kid, you know, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll appreciate it later down the line. Like, yeah. yeah. And no, they'll apologize to other people, right? Like that's, that's modeling, true. right? They're going to, we're going to get a phone call from school one day and they're going to say, oh, so-and-so did this. And, you know, and I would hope when I say, okay, and did she apologize? They'll tell me, yeah, she apologized. And I can say, okay, she made a mistake and she took accountability for it. And that's all I can ask her to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. I know my str- I struggle with it saying sorry and i i've gotten a lot better with it over the years but i know that that not like it all this episode has made me like think back i feel like i'm in my own session (laughs) (laughs) i'm like i never was apologized to you know yes not that i was never i but if right as much as i i know that i struggle with it now because Mm -hmm. it wasn't very existent back in the day so Yeah, that's really beautiful that you guys can take that accountability and apologize to your kids and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm learning a lot of how I want to respond to things because I always, I always say this all the time. There's reaction and there's responding. And mm-hmm. I've always been reactive and I'm working on how to respond rather, yeah. rather, rather than react. And it's things we all have to do, you know, because again, we had our own experiences and we were, we had our own, you know, upbringings that were, you know, um, you know, we have our own triggers. So those are all like very real. We have to just be, you know, graceful, give ourselves grace with that too. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I think growing up, like, at least in our generation, like, um, and probably generations before that, like Mm -hmm. adults were seen as like being right, the authority figure, just like based off of age. Um, so I, and I think now like our generation recognizes that like kids deserve the same amount of respect. Like it's not about your age. Like that's absolutely earns you respect. Um, but yeah, I think I remember one time my, um, my sister and I were doing something and I got the blame for it. Um, and I was yelled at and sent to my room or I went up to my room on my own and my mom came up and apologized. Um, and I don't remember if she, um, like realized it wasn't, you know, my fault or whatever it was, but she came up and apologized and like, that's, that's one of my core memories. So it's like, and I think that's, um, yeah, I think that's maybe the only time Mm. that I can remember really getting an apology for, um, for something. And so I, you know, I recognize that that's, you know, I want to give my kids that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, so they, so they know, like I, I'm human and Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, you know, be tired and like stressed out about other things and short tempered sometimes because of that. And as much as possible, I tried to, um, find ways to recharge and take care of myself. Like I, um, a big part of what I do as a nutritionist is focusing on mental health and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of, um, 
um, nutritional deficiencies and oh, yeah. a lot of other reasons that can relate to um, issues with mental health and moods and mm -hmm. emotions. Um, so I, you know, sometimes I have to take a look at what's going on in my life. It's like, you know, am I eating a balanced, balanced meals? Am I getting enough food in general? Like, mm -hmm. um, am I sleeping enough? Am I, um, you know, it also like the cycle, like the time of the month it is and mm, all that stuff, like, like yeah. just continuously like reassessing in those times because, um, you know, it, these things help. And I've noticed a tremendous improvement in my mood stability and all of that, just being more focused on nutrition um, and getting what I need. But, you know, there's there's times when things kind of slide a little bit and then I just have to recognize like um, what I need more of and um, just tweak things a little bit because mm -hmm. we also like things change in life like you know as we get older things change circumstances change mm -hmm. like our lifestyles change so it's it's kind of like what has worked for um the past year might not be working mm -hmm. now like you mm -hmm. you have to kind of um sit down and and see how you can tweak things a little bit from time to time yeah gotta stay flexible we're trying to teach them to be flexible mm -hmm. um we want them to be flexible with us right we want to be able to push back a nap time, get them to, you know, go against their routine sometimes. Um, so we're, we, yeah, again, all about like that modeling, but it's not, it's not, um, always easy because it wasn't always modeled to us. Um, and like you said, I think generational changes, cultural shifts. Um, you know, I think a lot of parents come to me and they're like, they're just disrespectful. Um, and I was like, well, you know, we were raised that, you know, you respect your elders, mm -hmm. um, and they are of a culture and a mindset of, I will show respect to those who show respect to me. And so what does that look like? And how can you, yeah, how can you be more flexible in your parenting if that is their belief? Um, and, you know, how can you work? Um, and, and sometimes parents are willing to say, okay, I will, you know, bend on this or negotiate that. Um, and sometimes not as much. So you definitely have to do with, with what you feel um, and what's culturally appropriate based off, you know, cultural aspects, you know, all are all different for everybody. But within that, where can you make um, some accommodations mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and, and try to work, try to work together. Yeah. Love that. Um, so yeah, so we are at a, an hour and four. So I just wanted to ask, um, do you have any projects that you're working on? I know that you guys started the counseling services. Um, is that up and running? Is there uh, anything you want to say on it? I know that was with um, your lovely husband. So yeah. So we are on um, Smith Family Counseling Services. Right now, um, I did just have my son. That's right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. No, yeah. But yeah, we did just have our, I had our son, but we, had a, we both are parenting a young child. So however you guys want to word that. But, um, you know, so right now we are on a pause of taking clients um, so that we can kind of focus on the kids for right now. And mm -hmm. um, I am, you know, currently full-time breastfeeding. So when I'm kind of shifting some things around, I plan to take on some children and families um, and 
TJ, my husband, he mostly works with adults. Um, and so we do definitely plan on taking on more clients for um, private practice and, um, you know, offer groups and um, some workshops and some things like that. So that's definitely on the horizon. Um, and I can definitely always make sure that you guys have that information when we are back to taking some clients in case anyone listening wants to reach out. Um, and, you know, we can always help pe- refer people um, if, you know, we're not currently taking anybody at the time, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so we're excited. We're excited to, um, you know, for the, for the new chapter, um, you know, when Trey does get a little bit older and we are able back to taking, um, more people. Um, but right now I think we're just trying to, you know, give this, give this some time. We know mm-hmm. now that you you have your second, you realize yeah. like, wow, this goes by way too fast. So, yeah. 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 And yeah. is this just in New York? Yeah, so we are licensed in New York, so we would only practice in New York, and we are uh, mostly telehealth. Um, I would like to implement groups in person for the for the adolescents um, because I think that that's important um, to an extent. But yeah, mostly a telehealth platform. Um, So um, I can make sure that you guys have that information too, um, and we can always make sure that people know whether we're accepting or not. And um, yeah, post COVID, a lot of telehealth people really responded well to that. So yeah, that's mostly what we're getting requests for. Um, but I do hope to um, do some of the group work in person because that's kind of really the bonus of group work. I do want to add in, I think telehealth has been good too. I like being in person, but I also enjoyed the telehealth because I was able to still do it. And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing is sticking with it knowing there's the option of telehealth and you don't have to drive anywhere, take a bus, do anything. You can literally put on your phone or your computer or whatever and have it in the the safety of your own home or bedroom. Privacy. Yeah. You don't know, you know, privacy. I'm all about access. Yeah. So all those things, absolutely important. Um, And then there's some people who prefer to be with other people in a group setting groups, not for everybody. So it's just based off, you know, each individual and what they are comfortable with, what they feel like they need. Absolutely. Yeah. Pros and cons. Well, do you have any social media channels? Um, um, so we do. Yeah. So we do have an Instagram. Um, you can find us under Smith Family Counseling Services on Instagram and we will post things there, you know, educational things. And also we'll definitely let people know about availability through that as well. Love it. Yeah. And we'll post it within the first post and on the show notes, excuse me, when we, um, post the show, which will probably be tomorrow night. So it'll be up and running tomorrow, the latest Tuesday. Okay. Uh, we'll add the link to her and her husband's uh, website, as well as the app for the um, the Instagram. So people can check it out or at least, you know, get advice if you are concerned with your own mental health and you need to just reach out to somebody. DM us. We can all point you in the right direction and we all will point you in the right direction. We don't want anyone to feel at all alone in this it's it's a hard knock life out there so Mm -hmm. yeah definitely make sure you guys have all the resources and again just don't be um you know don't feel like you can't reach out you're not alone and there's gonna be you know people to help absolutely yeah right ladies i'm gonna finish it off uh so thank you for listening to episode 10 with daniel smith If you're just listening to our series for the first time, we provide new episodes bi-weekly at the beginning of those weeks. 
you haven't yet, hit that follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to support. Also, if you have any questions, feel free to message us on Instagram at modernmomswellness underscore podcast. We appreciate the love as always. And until next time, we'll see you. Happy holidays. Bye.